Hello, hello, hello. Hi, everybody. What's going on? I hope everybody's doing well. Welcome back to my basement. I'm Francisco Suarez, your host, and this is from Suarez Basement. Why is it called from Suarez Basement? Well, it makes sense, right? I started producing this show from the basement of my house a year, a year and a half ago, if I remember correctly. When the pandemic hit, I was looking for Uh, finding ways to keep my students engaged, but more important, to keep them optimistic about their future career. So I started this podcast to create bridges between experts in the communication media and the arts, the students, faculty, and of course, you that are listening and watching our uh, video or audio podcast. So thank you for being here. And like you can see, technology allows us now to really, if you work hard and you are persistent, you can make things happen. Look at us a year later and we keep kicking out right that is what it's all about i want to also remind you that we have a new home in the internet it's www.fsbasement.com in this new home you can find the entire uh, library of our episodes in audio or in video but also we have created really cool um, educational tools that you can use for your own education plus a lot of cool other features that are there in www.fsbasement.com just go and visit us today of course like every two weeks we have a fantastic fantastic guest waiting for us she is behind the custom designs of one of my new favorite tv shows in apple tv called c s e e the custom design fantastic the storyline is very very interesting and the acting is superb so i will a hundred percent recommend She's also very well known and have been nominated three times to the Emmy Award for the Hatman Tells uh, show in Hulu, of course, very famous show from Hulu. So I cannot wait to have this conversation with Natalie Profman, which is waiting for us to be able to have a really nice conversation with her. Thank you, WCNY PBS in Central New York for your partnership. And of course, thank you, the viewers and the listeners that tune in every two weeks to, you know, give us your company. And I hope this new episode from Suarez Basement is exactly what you're looking for. Let's start this new conversation with Natalie Profman, custom designer, right away. Here we go. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to have you. This is so, so excited. So I want to go back to your childhood because I do always want to find that moment where you suddenly realize, hmm, I think custom design is something that I would like to do. Can we go back in time and tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and when did you realize that fashion and design, I understand that you were also involved in interior design, was something that you were passionate about? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I grew up in um, uh, Germany and in Toronto, mostly, um, but I also lived in New York and in Rome, but that was a little bit later on. Um, I grew up in a family where the women were very, very good uh, seamstresses. Um, so I, right from the get-go, I, to make doll clothes, I was already learning how to sew. It was all by hand, but it was, you know, I had the basics. I, I had the, the understanding of putting con- things together, constructed that I cut and so on. Um, and I also really loved to sing, so I ended up wanting to be an opera singer. Um, and I was good, but you know, I wasn't top notch. So, and I didn't want to stay in the chorus. And I thought, how can I stay in this environment? And I thought, well, why don't I 
do the costumes instead. And I already knew how to paint and draw because that was also something we did in our family. And um, I started out actually doing the costumes probably in high school or grade school even. We were doing French plays, Moliere and so on. And um, yeah, I would I would hunt around, see where I could get scrapped fabrics and cut up bed sheets and all of that. So, um, yeah, and I remember- what is about it? That what is about? I I can tell you, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated with everything that have to do with visual storytelling and yes. the pieces of make believe. The idea that mm-hmm. you take something and you're going to make me believe that. You know that that's real. That 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 yeah. that dress, that that suit, that is real, and I'm fascinated about that. So, what is it about costume design at that time where you realize, oh, I want to do this? That you are so fascinated about. Well, because I could pretend to be somebody else for a day or for for a few hours. You know, I could be the princess, or I could be the the judge, or I could be whatever the um, the magician or you know any of those things the joker and the, the court jester or and that that's what was so fun about it because i could pretend to be other people um and i guess that play acting and i guess that goes along with being in the drama and the theater and opera and all of that so it's that's, uh that's very yeah. cool yeah well your work i mean speak louder than words i mean what you have created is amazing it's really really good oh. but i always <laughs> want for the students to have kind of a dictionary definition of if you could define by your own words and your own experience what is a custom designer work how you will try to summarize that my job uh, is to be able to tell a story with the clothing that uh, highlights also the actor's acting but doesn't detract from it so if you were to take just the shirt from the character you could look at it and say okay this man came from this kind of society with this kind of economic background he's been through this kind of trauma perhaps if that's the clothing looks like that um, or if you take a piece of armor it'll tell a story so all of these are pieces of the story and i think that's that's the biggest job of the costume designers to be able to have the clothes also tell the story not just the actor right and and uh, that brings me to my next uh, question my next uh, uh fascination about this puzzle called make believe and 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 you know it's custom design set design everything need to to land in the in the perfect place to have a good show which mm-hmm. you have been working in amazing shows we're going to talk about <laughs> them in a little bit but um what is the relationship between character development and custom design it's huge it's symbiotic it, it it's one and one together um often i have when i meet the actors the first time i have a discussion with how they are crafting their character and what is it they're going to do with their character and where are they going to take it in the arc of the story um a lot of that is psychology and you have to understand a little bit about human behavior in terms of pay attention to how people behave when they're in certain states of mind are they depressed are they happy are they getting are they excitedly getting married or are they not getting they're not happily married or you know have they lost a child or anyway all of those things um play on what they're wearing um you don't wear bright happy colors when you're upset and depressed um you know there's certain people that only will wear black for example and you have to find out why are they hiding are they trying to blend in so that they can observe what's going around and that they're not standing out so there's all these layers and with the actor once i find out where they're going with it um i will craft the clothing to fit their character and it has to be something you don't really see 
when you look at the screen, you just know that they're wearing the clothes that belong to this character. You don't say, oh, look at that red shirt. You should be looking at the actor. So it's a, it's a, it's hand in hand and you have to have a good conversation with the people. Do you think you have become, uh, because the relationship that you have between the characters, the actors, the, the costumes that you create, a little bit of a psychology of clothes I mean like can you can you maybe be in the street and someone's like hmm maybe that person is is having a little bit of a hard time today because what they're wearing absolutely um i see that even with my crew sometimes we um, in the last show i was with them for two years and i could definitely tell where somebody was in their head were they happy or they having a rough time uh, you know did you just got married so you show up in bright orange and greens and you know and then a, uh, another lovely lady you know she had she just started dressing in gray and everything became really big and and i she was having a very terrible time in life so it's you know i could absolutely tell that now yeah that's <laughs> so, awesome yeah. that's very well it's, it's it's a mix between what fashion is and, and costume mm -hmm. right i mean it, yeah. we we more or less also dress every morning depending on the character you know i'm a professor for example so i don't go to work in a t-shirt I, i put something a little more formal yeah so my students take me more seriously <laughs> well abso absolutely i mean a uniform it, it becomes a uniform even myself when i go to work i have a certain type of clothing i'll wear that i never wear when i'm not working so it's a you know it's a yeah it's 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 a uniform i want to say an, work an, uniform. it's an yeah. expression so yeah. you have been nominated to the emmys for your amazing work in hamay tells and oh, i cannot of course we need to talk about the red, red cape right um <laughs> yeah. you have created something that is so iconic um mm. how was what was the inspiration behind the costumes in handmade tales and how suddenly this amazing costume that we're going to talk about what do you feel when you see your costumes in halloween right that, that will be quite excited yeah. but uh, the red cape how how this happened Well, initially the costumes were sort of set, uh, well, the clothing that the people wore in the Society of Gilead was already predetermined by Margaret Atwood in her book. Um, so it was just up to us then as costume designers to give it its modern spin or the spin of the times. Um, the red cape, I mean, it's when you look at a cape, uh, typically when you wear a cape, you're hiding, you can hide your face which the girls should not have had. They weren't supposed to be individualized. So they became just a sea of you know, baby carriers. Uh, they didn't have personalities or faces, or at least the Gilead didn't want to see them. Um, the color itself is a symbol of, of fertility. Also, if they were ever to try and run and escape, you could find them in the woods because they're wearing a bright red cape. That's another thing. And then eventually, of course, the color changed into a subliminal anger and a seething fire in their souls. So that was a, it was nice to be able to play with that a little bit. And also when you think about Little Red Riding Hood, there's a, for Gilead, I, this is my opinion, not selling Mrs. Atwood's, but there's a sense of juvenileness to it. Like there's um, young, young, young girls, young, innocent girls. And that's what Gilead kept trying to push with these handmaids. So all of that, ball that all together. And that's how you get, um, I guess the, that's how the cape came about. And how, how, Tell me a little bit about how the process of, especially with Hamid Tell, we're going to talk about C, which is now mm -hmm. one of my favorite, favorite shots out there. But um, what was the process? You, you you get hired, you get a script, and what happened next? 
Uh, well, you have discussions with um, obviously the showrunners, the, the writers, um, the producers, the director, very, very importantly. Uh, sometimes the director of photography also has, um, you know, stipulations like I cannot use this color or that color or uh, or I present this is what I need. And then so we work together. Um, and it just in this case, because it was already initially preset from Ms. Atwood, it was it had to also have her approval and her stamp of, of you know, approval of it because it, it is her story. So, uh, and she's the original artist, let's say, of this this fantasy tale, this terrible fantasy tale. Um, so that's the process, basically. You get the script, then you do drawings, you have meetings, uh, then you meet with the actors, you get their input, then you do, you fine-tune the, fine the drawings and the, the, the designs, um, and then you basically build them. And mm -hmm. all of this has approval process steps. So it's not like you just walk in and do whatever you feel like. It's it's a It's a big company of ideas let's say are you able to keep some of those costumes meaning like for halloween you're addressing in red cape <laughs> no they unfortunately all belong to hulu <laughs> <laughs> oh well what we can do right <laughs> but the other question that i have is functionalities of costs because yep. c which we're going to talk about is, is a series in apple tv uh amazing story amazing acting and of course production value is all there right um it's a lot of action it's a lot of fighting and so as a costume designer how you take a in consideration functionality of a costume because again the costume can be very pretty but if the actor cannot move especially in these scenes that you have all these fights how that work and how you play with functionality in, in your work Well, that's a that's a big process in research and design. So R and D, uh, and essentially we do a lot of mockups. Uh, we do I do I work in half scale, so I build the exact costume in half scale in the original fabrics materials, whether it's leather or metal or glass or whatever. Uh, and then we we see if it works. Then we will make another mockup in full scale. And actually, for example, when they're doing a fight sequence, I will give it either to the actor or the stunt person who is the, the stunt actor, and have them rehearse in it. Then they give me their notes and say, okay, I can't lift my arm because this pauldron is, is, you know, or it's hitting me in the neck or it's the shoes hurt or whatever. Um, in the case of C, uh, because it was a society that was, you know, that nobody could see, the visors on the helmets, for example, of the Trevantian army, um, they covered the eyes, but in reality, they couldn't fight not being able to see the guy that they're hitting with the stick in real life because we would have had many injuries. So we had to create... I don't know, we had over 30 different prototypes of visors that looked to us like they couldn't see through them, but they could actually see through them. Mm -hmm. So, for example, that's that's a big one that we had, and we did lots of research and design on that. Um, and in some instances, we actually had to cut them out completely, and they would fill them in again with CGI because the sequences were too intense. Um, Another thing that we worked on a lot was the temperature because we were shooting in high summer and high winter. So we had minus 40 Celsius and we had plus 40 Celsius. So we had all complete ranges and we had to come up with ways to keep actors either warm or cool, uh, mm -hmm. depending on depending on what season we were shooting. So uh, or dry or if they went into the water, we had to you know incorporate dry suits underneath their clothing and make it look like they're not wearing dry suits. So it's mm -hmm. all all of that is. Uh, You know, uh, for example, with Jason's boots, he had we made all the footwear as well uh, in season two and three. And 
he had many versions of his footwear, uh, ones for high winter, which had good grips and treads and that were warm, and other ones that were waterproof when he had to go through the water. So it's all, you know. Mm-hmm. Or, for example, another, another big one is fire. You know, whenever there's fire, we, everything has to be fireproofed. And right. it has to be natural materials only. So no, no plastics, no polyester, no nylon, because we had to impregnate it with a, with a saline solution that was a fire retardancy. So, mm-hmm. so wow, that's a, you, but you must have uh, 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 containers and containers and containers yeah. of crosses, right? <laughs> yes, we do. You're right. <laughs> we, have a, we have about three. <laughs> wow, wow. And you have to be super well organized. I mean, we need these for da da da, and you need to know how to find it. And, you know, it must be a very, a very detailed inventory. Actually, last uh, last month, I had a costume that was shipped down to Los Angeles for a panel. And out of the 79 boxes, there's a sk- there's a map that I had. And they were asking for one specific costume. And I actually had to walk somebody through the trailer. I said, okay, on your left side, third box in. <laughs> and they're like, how do you? And I said, go deeper down. There's another box below that. <laughs> so- oh, there we go. Do you have a system? I'm, I'm assuming you work yeah. with a team. How many? Yeah. Uh, on C, it was such a big show. We had 57, mm-hmm. which is huge. Huge. Uh, hip, huge. On Handmaids, I had, uh, as a base crew, 12. And then we had people that we needed when we got bigger, uh, you know, busier, and then we would go back down to our 12. But on C, we consistently had 57 people. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then we would bring in more people when we needed. And one day, we had 900 backgrounds. So we had we had 60 dailies, so 60 people that were not part of our team that we had to hire for that week. Just to Amazing. help us. Are you normally yes. in set when when they're filming, or depend? Yeah, half and half. Um, so, costume designer typically goes to set uh, because when you're constantly having to build and keep it moving in the shop, uh, you go to set when there are brand new costumes that nobody's ever seen before, uh, first time that they're being filmed. So that's when you go. And in case there's any uh, modifications, or all of a sudden director might say, "I don't like this color. What else do you have?" You got to come up with something. So, and that's not that's that should that is the costume designer's responsibility, not the uh, the person on set typically, because that's a big burden for them to bear. Say they choose the wrong thing, and then it all doesn't work with the rest of the sequence, right? So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit, and again for the viewers and for Mm -hmm. uh, the listeners, uh, see again is a show in Apple TV second season, fantastic writing, Um, also a very interesting concept. I mean, it's uh, an apocalyptic. after story of a society that is all blind uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's a very good premise. Uh, how do you design to a blind society? What are those characteristics that the director and, and told you, this is how, what, what we need? Well, we have the other senses. And so I had to uh, pull fabrics or, or leathers or create jewelry or things that you could either hear or smell or even taste or feel. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, the queen, she has her bells when she rings them because then you know she's coming down the hallway. Um, every character that of, of importance, especially in the palace, had a certain sound to them. Um, they had a slighter different tonality of jingles and, you know, and it was all found objects. So maybe there were chains that rattled or they had little bells on the back or they had, uh, you know, radio parts that mm-hmm. would hit together and they would make a noise. The army had on their boots, the two different armies had two different noises on one one of, one of their boots only, so that when they marched, you could hear mm-hmm. who's coming and how far away they were. So there was all of those little things that I had to play with. Everything has texture to it. 
um, and uh, yeah, it's it's all recycled things. Let's say you know uh, in the Trevantian market, we had sellers that had plastic doll pieces stuck on a vest. You know, but when he moved, they made noise. So it's. <laughs> It's, it's fantastic. It's recycled because we're living in a time, apocalyptic time, where where materials disappear and we need to start recycling in order to create this fashion? No, most of these, um, the premise of that was that these were items that did not disintegrate even 600 years from now. So, you know, we even use tire pieces to make shoes. Um, we, we all, you know, plastic cutlery became jewelry. Uh, You know, radio, like anything metal doesn't disintegrate very quickly. So we would, re, you know, use car grills and use that as jewelry or pieces of a crown. Or, uh, for example, I made one crown for the queen. It didn't get onto camera, but it was made out of silverware. All the forks and knives. But it was such a heavy piece that she couldn't, we couldn't wear it because she couldn't move very well in it. So, unfortunately, it's it's too bad because it was a magnificent piece. But it's, it's that kind of a thing. Um, it, it was all upcycling. Um, in season one, there was an entire town that was made... Uh, out of plastic bottles that were crushed up into bricks. Do you remember? Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's that kind of a thing. It's it's to show us that we're destroying the earth and the stuff is still around 600 years from now. Do so. you have a specific time, do you think, for the show? Like, not that we have to have a specific time, but are we talking about 15 years from now, 100 years from now? Oh, they were talking about 500, 600 from now. Which is nothing. <laughs> Which is nothing really in time. No, it's not. It's it's, uh, and the thing is, the reason why the clothing looks the way it, a lot of people say, oh, it's medieval, and it's like it's not medieval, because when humanity came out of the darkness of of Byzantium, they went into the Iron Age, mm -hmm. and of course we reverted back to basic stuff. So you had you know basic clothing, you had um, basic arms, you had basic shoes. Uh, so I kind of styled it against the the Iron Age with a little bit of ancient Rome. And then I started digging into the other eras of, of throughout time. So that was a mm -hmm. lot of fun. That was the best part. That's <laughs> awesome. That's very cool. And, I, and, and the question that I have, you want to laugh with this one, but my husband and I, we watch the show. We're big, big fans. And uh, we have a bed. I mm -hmm. say that they are using some contact lenses that kind of impair uh. <laughs> the vision in order to help them to act. He's saying, no, you are wrong, dude. They, they're able to see. So are they using contact lenses that impair the vision in order to give them a little more, uh, let's say, putting into character, or they really can see through the contact lenses? There are no contact lenses whatsoever. Ah. There's nothing on their eyes. Um, we had a, we have an advisor, Joe Streche, who himself, he, is, he cannot see. Okay. And all, all of us, including myself, The, the camera guys, the everybody who comes to work on the show has to go through blindness training. Wow. So in other, yeah, so in other words, we were blindfolded and we had to, he had worked out a room and we had to find our way around the room without seeing. Um, and he showed us how to use a, a you know, a, a, the, the white cane. And also he, there was a mock set up kitchen and we had to figure out without looking what it is we were touching. And so this is how he would train all of the actors as well. So there was a whole movement team that just focused on teaching people how to behave in terms of that way. Like, for example, you never, whenever you heard a sound, you listen, you looked at them with your ears because you were hearing them as opposed to seeing them. So mm -hmm. that's a big key, you know. Mm -hmm. And when you when you ran your hand across a counter, you would go with the back of your hand to see to feel what it is that you were that was on the counter as opposed to looking down at it. Mm -hmm. like, so you could look straight ahead, but you feel it with the back of your hand. So, it was, so it was, the, the colors that we see in the eyes are then 
put through through special effects or, or CGI, yeah, CGI. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. them. Well, they already are great actors, but them yeah. even make me more proud of their work because they <laughs> they really make it feel like they cannot see. Yeah, yeah. Um, We had excellent training. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It helped all of us, even with all the design, like the props people and myself and the production designer. All of us had to go through this training, and it really helped figuring out when I was creating a costume, what is it that I need to put on this co or make this costume feel or sound like, so that it tells a story for the character. Wow, that's very impressive. Then, Natalie, I mean, I, I want to talk to you. Uh, beside the costume design, uh, you are involved in such a creative uh, environment that, and especially those who show handmade tell and and see, seeing seeing these stories. When we start watching uh, handmade tales, I was it stressed me a lot. I was so stressed out because the story yeah. is great. But then I wasn't stressed out because I was thinking in my head, well, this is not too far from what our, our reality can be. Yeah. And the same we see, you, you watch it and you realize, well, maybe we're going there. You as a person, not as a fashion designer who is hired to design this thing, what is con your connection with these stories and how do you feel about these stories mm -hmm. that you work on? Well, Handmaids was very hard. Uh, I was on it for three years and it was a really hard story to live every day. The odd thing was I didn't, while I was actually doing the series itself, because it's all just get up, go to work, come home, get up, come home. It's a cycle. You know, I, I wasn't outside much in the world except for buying groceries. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's so until I had a break and I started to venture out into the world again and talk, listen to people talk and blah, 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 talk to me about the show. You don't notice how intense it is until you've stopped, and it's almost like you have, you have, you have a, you're you're so stressed and wound up from it, and it actually you actually take it home, um, like because you end up living it. But at the same time, you don't under sometimes you don't realize how strong it really is until you break, you know, you've cut from it. For example, I didn't, in, in the third season, until I got to Washington, and I heard the, I, I sat on a bench and I heard girls passing by to drop off their capes so they could go to lunch. Um, a lot of the girls, you know, they're saying, wow, I can't believe this is so real feeling, you know, it's so, it's so intense. It, that's when it dawned on me that it's like, yeah, this is, this, this could be happening right now. And there's, it's, it's teetering on a fine edge of possibly still happening. Mm -hmm. So it's, especially in the United States, I mean, I mean, there's other countries that are going through similar yeah. things, but yeah. 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 Oh my God. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> my you. students are listening, all the students out there and faculty and of course our general audience, thank you for tuning in. You are the best. Uh, WCNY, PBS in Central New York, thank you for the partnership. And uh, Natalie, this is your house anytime. Well, the basement, I invite you to the basement. <laughs> I promise you. You're my you. office. <laughs> yeah, I promise you, if you come to visit, I will take you out of the basement and go to the Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Have a good one. Thank you so you much. Thank Take you. care. Bye.